0: It's a big episode, folks. The last episode of 2023. I'm Clayton Collins, CEO at Housing Wire. And my guest today is the esteemed editor in chief of Housing Wire, Sarah Wheeler. Sarah, welcome.
1: I'm so excited to be on your podcast and you asking me questions. It's going to be fun.
0: I teased it out a little bit last week. Last week, we did a really cool episode. So if anybody missed it, you should go back and check it out. But we um, went and pulled our seven most prominent and like most listened to episodes from 2023 and pulled out very specific clips from like the top learnings from those episodes so it's kind of a recap on the year but pulls some of the the knowledge that was most impactful for me and hopefully most impactful for the audience so um i teased this episode out a little bit then sarah i also let the audience know that this episode is a little bit of a an end of the era episode so um we won't tell everybody exactly what we have planned but um just a tease it out a little bit there but today we have the editor-in-chief of housing wire sarah, sarah wheeler leads our entire content organization our newsroom our content studio, um, so many things that touch the audience at Housing Wire. And today I had the chance to ask her about some of the most impactful topics, the trends that her newsroom and content team's been focused on in 2023, and a little bit about what we're heading into in 2024. So Sarah, as, as you and I were prepping for this conversation, you used a phrase that this was the most volatile year since the GFC. So I'm going to stop there. Tell us what the heck happened in twenty twenty three
1: you know we could to to no one's surprise the two words I would use is mortgage rates right like it's just crazy when you think about the history of mortgage rates in our country. it usually takes a year to go you know half a point a whole point i mean normally changes in mortgage rates are very very gradual or interest rates let's let's back up not even just mortgage rates interest rates they just don't change that much and in 2023 we ranged from 5.99% to 8.03% and now we're in the high sixes and and the fact that that changed so fast um, I think is just so disruptive to most people's businesses, right? It's disruptive to consumers. It's disruptive for businesses trying to plan, you know, their, their own expenses. But also if, if you're in mortgage and real estate, how the heck do you, you know, lock people, close people, uh, get people approved for things when the interest rates are changing so fast?
0: Isn't it crazy that it kind of feels like we're rejoicing about interest rates and in the high sixes right now? Can you imagine like having that emotion, you know, just uh, you know, 12, 18 months ago?
1: No, absolutely. I am rejoicing. Like, I'm so excited that we're going into this Christmas break with some optimism for our industry, um, for consumers who are like, okay, we are getting a break because it's, you know, it's been pretty rough with really high home prices and and higher rates i mean that's just rough for anybody it's really bad for first-time home buyers who aren't coming into that with some sort of down payment um, but yeah, when we look back, if we were like, wow, it's six point six today, that's amazing. Like that just is just perspective, you know?
0: Yeah. Didn't Logan use a headline of like Santa came early or something after last Fed message? Like what what was what was Logan talking about there?
1: Yes, he was talking about the Fed, uh the Fed was the good Grinch for, <laughs> for Christmas this year by delivering uh, you know, like how in the Grinch movie, most of the movie he's the bad Grinch, but then in the end his heart grows three times and he's the good Grinch. And so Oh, we got the good Grinch, at least for the end of the year. Um, most of the year, it's been really rough. And part of the volatility, from my perspective, I am not an economist, but it felt like we were just getting mixed messages from the Fed all the time. So they would do something and then other Fed presidents would come out and say things. And that's never good for markets. And instability and volatility is just, you know, you're, you're a uh, business owner, right? Like, it's just hard to build on that. It's hard to know how to plan on that. And when that trickles down, even to the level of the consumers where they're feeling all that pain, it's just not good.
0: Yeah. I mean, uncertainty is definitely the, the hardest thing to build into. And business owners and consumers need confidence in their financial decisions, which this year has definitely made it challenging to have confidence. Um, but rates weren't the only volatile part of 2023. What else did we see play out in the last few months, Sarah?
1: I would say inventory is one of those things that um, obviously follows rates, and it's it's unprecedented. We used to use that word all the time in 2020, and I'm going to bring it back for this because, you know what the what the Federal Reserve did to um, really step in and save you know economics and during the great um, during the COVID nineteen struggle was to lower those rates you know, to rock bottom. And as a result, and I don't think anyone expected it, just the rush, the the gold rush in the housing market, right? And people got sub 3% rates for a 30-year fixed mortgage. So, you know, that's great. The knock-on effect on that, you know, three years later, we're like, okay, um, no one wants to give up their 3% mortgage uh, for mortgage rates in, in, in the high sixes, sevens, and then all the way to eight. And that has had an effect on inventory, whether you want to call it, I know we've had this whole discussion about, is that a mortgage rate lockdown? I think whatever you want to call it, there is a lock-in effect that people are, you know, if they don't have to, they're not trading in um, what they have as a, as a monthly payment for something that's higher just because interest rates changed. There are people moving, there are people moving every year, buying houses, selling houses, but those are mainly people who don't have a lot of choice. Um, if you have a lot of choice, you're either paying cash or, um, you know, you're just going to wait. And that has had a huge effect on inventory.
0: I mean, I think the whole mortgage rate lockdown or lock-in effect really will be tested in, in 2024 because we're already starting to see some, some promising signs in the active market data we see from Altos that some of the sellers are, are coming off the sidelines. Some of those people we thought would, that would hold on to their 3% rate forever actually might list a house in 2024.
1: They might. And, you know, speaking of Altos, this was a really an exciting year because if you'll remember back to last Christmas, I believe it was Christmas Day that Logan decided we had been talking about this housing market tracker and he sent something over. He goes, "Okay, we have to we have to publish that. I was like, it is Christmas Day. Um, But the reason is because he had access to Altos data and Altos data, which was an acquisition that Housing Wire made in 2022, has given us the ability to see on a weekly basis what the inventory is, so we don't have to wait anymore for NAR numbers or monthly numbers or three month numbers, and that has been huge. And that's one of the reasons we can track it so well.
0: Yeah, no, you're not exaggerating. That was Logan messaging you and Diego and I on on Christmas Day, pulling together a housing market tracker, and me being, you know, like we should productize productize this and build a page. And Logan's like, no, 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 and like before I know it, like the two of you have an article published called the Housing Market Tracker. It was a the momentum is can't be messed with. It's a it's an unstoppable force that when you put Logan and Sarah together, which we're not going to talk about us too much here. We're talking about an unstoppable force. You guys have topped the charts on the Housing Wire Daily podcast. Kudos! Like I know this is housing news, and like you and I are like somewhat competitive in our podcast audiences, but mercy, Sarah, y'all have hit the top of the charts. We're, we're we hit number two in national business news podcast, which is just insane for. You know, a strategy where we're focused on serving the mortgage and real estate professional, You know, some folks would call that niche, but somehow we have figured out a way to get to the top of the charts.
1: I love that. And I think Logan is a big part of that strategy. I have him on twice a week and we've heard from so many people that because they listen to him, they know what to talk to about their clients. They feel like they can Counter things, but he's not my only guest. I have um, a lot of really great guests, and mostly uh, focused on whatever the news is of that week. And what we've discovered is that there are a lot of people who want to get their news, their daily fill of news, uh, in an audio format while they're working out, while they're walking their dog. You you just heard from somebody. Oh, I shared.
0: Yeah, yesterday I had a message from an audience member who loves listening to Housing Wire podcast. I don't know if he's a Housing Wire Daily fan or Housing News fan, but he said Housing Wire podcast, and that he's lost. 40 pounds by creating a habit of listening to housing wire podcast while he walks 10 miles every day. I mean, that's come on. I didn't know the impact we were having. That's incredible.
1: That is incredible. I love that habit stacking, right? So um, it's exciting. And I think the thing that's been so fun is to meet so many of these fans, you know, at all the different conferences. And now we're going to, I'm going to a bunch of real estate conferences as well. And we have a ton of new um, listeners and and readers who are in the real estate space.
0: I mean, you've, Built that real estate audience over years, but the last few months it's really propelled as the commission lawsuits have been front and center. So, like what what did let's let's go back to the volatility year? Like, how did these commission lawsuits impact us over the last three months and like kind of where where has it evolved to as um you know the there's been settlements and and verdicts? Like, where are we now?
1: No, it's a great point. The funny thing is these commission lawsuits, some of them have been around, so the moral lawsuit which was the first one it was filed in 2019 so they've been percolating out there it's just that this year we um, you know they came to trial we got down there um, we got some settlements then we got the DOJ saying they didn't they wouldn't accept some of those settlements so it has been wild but it, it all comes down to like is there a conspiracy to set you know to fix prices on what you have to pay a, a buyer broker and is that conspiracy the National Association of Realtors and various large brokerages and some, and in one case, an MLS. And that question, I think people um, took it seriously, but the Sitzer Burnett trial that we covered in October um, found them liable for, found all of those people liable for a um, conspiracy. Uh, Two of the big brokerages settled, Remax and Anywhere, settled beforehand, uh, very smart on their part because it came back with this huge judgment Um, And it's just, it's just, I think it shocked everyone. It shocked me because I didn't feel like, you know, it was a class action lawsuit. And what it has done is sort of like just open the floodgates. So since then, um, just that day that the attorney that that was for the uh, plaintiffs there uh, filed, I don't know, he he named uh, six more defendants because he had won, right? He won uh, billions of dollars worth in a settlement. So he, he uh, quickly did that that day. And within a week, we started, within two days, we started seeing copycat lawsuits. We're up to 15 lawsuits, class action lawsuits on this issue all over the country in different states, different jurisdictions, naming different people. Uh, but basically going after some, you know, the National Association of Realtors and some of the biggest brokerages out there. Um, and even some teams I think were named in the, in the Texas suit. So um, I think there's blood in the water and uh, class action lawyers are like, oh, okay, now, now that we've seen that and, and that does not bode well for the people involved um, on our side.
0: So does this keep playing out at the state level, or or even municipality level, like in Kansas City, or does this get rolled up to federal, or Department of Justice get involved at some point? Like how how does this play out in twenty four?
1: It's really interesting. So you know, a lot of um, the the commissions are really set by the states, and that's why you're seeing them in the states and not at a federal level. But the Department of Justice is um but that's know, the argument
0: right commissions are not set by the states
1: right i'm sorry commission you know this enforcement issue if you will say yeah. that like yeah. people overlooking it um are doing that but i think that uh you know the department of justice has the um mission to you know the to make sure that there's um Fair competition, right? So that's where they get involved. And that's what I think has been one of the most interesting parts of this, to see the Department of Justice come in after there was already a settlement in the moral case, um, and and come in and say, we're not happy with the settlement. We, we want to look at the settlement closer, and we need to push back the whole date and um, a settlement had been reached and they, they came in and said no no we, we don't think that this is right so that's pretty disruptive i i mean if they can do that just whenever they feel like um when you think about there are 15 other cases out there they have not done that in any other case yet but um they have done that i'm sorry not in the moral case in the no select case it's hard to keep them straight no select, okay. um in the no select case um so that's something we're really keeping an eye on because that level of like let us get involved here for something that i just have to be honest I mean, when you sit through the class action lawsuit, I've said this before, I always feel like it's going to be something, a terrible bodily injury, people died, you know, you think about the tobacco class action lawsuit, you think about some things like that. And I'm like, this is people paying their buyer broker commission, this is the seller paying the buyer broker commissions who went, they get the same benefit when they're a buyer. Like I'm still stunned that this seems like such a big deal.
0: No. Yeah. It's armchair quarterbacking. We all agreed to pay commissions of a certain schedule and now someone's not happy about it, but Hey, uh, let the judge and the jury decide that one. Um, I guess you can see my, see my bend. All right. So big, big topic here. The first topic was the most volatile year since the GFCs. We talked about interest rates, lawsuits, inventory, The other big theme this year, Sarah, was was innovation. So in the middle of disruption, innovation happens. Opportunity is found. Innovators come in and build and find new ways to build technology and artificial intelligence and better processes. Tell us what you saw in innovation this year.
1: I love that, actually. Um, So this year, I started the Housing Stack newsletter. And um, as part of that, so that goes out to people who are interested in technology, in technology, building technology. um, That's why we call it Housing Stack. And I get to interview different um, tech executives every every week. And it has been such a fun year to do that because uh, on top of that was the year that AI really became mainstream. It became AI became something that we all kind of understand because of ChatGPT. Obviously, that's AI at a very small level, but it is informative, I think, to a lot of people who are now like, oh, I get it. I, I, I see some of the possibility. I understand what some of this would do. And so talking to these tech executives during this time, and you know, they've been excited about it and they've been using, of course, you know, people in our industry have been leveraging AI for years in different ways. It has, they they have said that like in the last couple of years, there has been this jump in the ability to do things. And for me, it's really fun because when I joined Housing Wire in 2013, we were just at such a, a young point in technology across the board. And one of the things that is so different now than then is just the data that's available and just the, the fact that everything's been collected now. It used to be sitting in a file on a, on a sheet of paper, and now there's just huge amounts of data. So what are people doing with that data? How are they leveraging that data to serve their customers better, find new customers, develop new products? It's just, it's an exciting time from that perspective for both mortgage and real estate Anybody involved in that? We're seeing so much happen there.
0: Were you seeing the the most change in 2023? And we we you know we've we cover the the full spectrum here from origination, real estate appraisal, title. Are there any parts of the sector and or the the single family residential transaction that under underwent a lot of change this year due to innovation or new technology cap- capabilities?
1: Um, I think that's a little bit hard to say. I think what I see is what's coming. And what's coming is the, the ability to go to the source for data, which is so important in so much of the real estate transaction. And what you see is that this is the, a continuation of what the GSEs have wanted for years has been part of their mission and part of their modernization efforts across the board. Um, you see it a lot in appraisal right? We now have five options for valuations. Um, you know, we the the typical appraisal is no longer the default option. And we've really seen some of that come. I would say adoption has been low on like desktop and some of those. And so, I mean, I think that the, the opportunity for change there is pretty high, but I don't think we saw it in 2023. I think we will see it more next year, especially as lenders figure out and work together with their partners to figure out at the outset, what kind of valuation they need. So so one of the, the pain points there is just not knowing. And so they don't want to pay twice. So they're just going to go for the traditional option because it's just faster or easier or whatever. But that's not going to be the case going forward. And and there's so much about the data there. Now that we have all this data, and, uh, if you think about the refi boom and every house that got refied, we, we got some updated data on. So there are just like so much more data there that now valuation should be easier faster and able to be automated so you know i think that's one of the areas that we're seeing
0: that's actually fascinating i hadn't thought about you know the the confluence of events that creates a innovation wave so the refi wave actually flooded our new digital data capabilities with refreshed data on a large percentage of active housing stock
1: a large percentage, and you know that alone is just like that's wild that we can now we can and we now have the tools to take that data and make use of it.
0: And did that perspective come through like an interview or a podcast you did this year? I hadn't really, I just hadn't thought about that at all, Sarah.
1: Uh, probably. <laughs> I can't. Find yeah. Time. If
0: you've done a lot, you um uh, five days a week, fifty-two weeks a year. It's uh, a couple episodes.
1: Yeah, a couple episodes, but I think um, I have talked to the experts and and. Uh, over this time. And I think that's one of the things that really hit me. Um, and of course, we, we talk about this all the time is is data and the difference it can make based on what you're doing with it, how you're leveraging it. On the other hand, one of the big disruptions this year, not just in our industry, is cybersecurity. So all of that data sitting out there is also a huge target. And you know, we have seen some really big things happen this, this year. And we know of some things that we can't report on that are happening all the time, right? That, that don't ever get to the point where we can put them online, but we all hear about them. Uh, people know about them. And um, you know, that's hugely disruptive.
0: Yeah, that'll be a, um, a theme that I don't think is going to be off our radar in 2024, but certainly, certainly need some innovation around security. Maybe that's where the, the innovators go next. All right, Sarah. So the other big theme that we always talk about at the end of the year and as we prep for the coming fiscal year our forecasts and forecasts have been pretty challenging the last few years in 2020 um nobody saw COVID coming and they definitely didn't anticipate the impact that COVID was gonna have 2021 i think people underestimated the power of the market i think in 2022 people underestimated how fast the market can change and in 2023 what happened how did the forecast work out
1: You know, forecasting is tough when you have the rate of change that we had. And I think what we saw in 22 continued into 23. It was really hard to understand what the Fed was going to do. And that changed everything. So if you look back at the forecasts of almost everybody starting um, for the 2023 forecast, they saw mortgage rates getting much better um, in the summer and then the fall um, and ending up not that far off from where we actually are. So if you look at just that part, yes. But who in the middle was there was just wild swings that you know really nobody had and and you could see that and because of that as we've already talked about it had all these effects downstream so it wasn't just mortgage rates that's you know home prices i think home prices is a very surprising metric to everyone we all understand why it's why it's happening but no one predicted that at the beginning of 2023 because you know if you have higher rates Normally you have home prices adjust because you just have less demand, but that's just not what happened this year.
0: I've talked about this on housing news in a few episodes, but my biggest fear as we look forward to 2024 is, is overheating. And if we see the interest rate, I mean, one hand I was about to say interest rates cooperate and like continue going down, but that is, you know, there's a level of cooperation. There's a level of interest rate declines in the sixes and the fives that creates this overheating scenario, which we saw in 2021 and the first half of 2022. And, um, I have a lot of fear that if we see the purchase market heat back up to levels, um, not even 2021 levels, but levels that are significantly higher than today, home price appreciation will shoot through the roof and we'll be right back in the crosshairs of the federal reserve. And, um, and a second round of rate increases would be more painful than the first.
1: I I so I a hundred percent agree with you because, you know, both Mike Simonson of Altos and Logan talk about the fact that one of the reasons we talk about a mortgage rate lockdown and why it is or isn't is because if you put a home on the market and it sells right away, it doesn't ever make the inventory numbers. It doesn't ever get listed. You know, it's not um and so it's really hard to track that. What happens is if you have that kind of demand come in you're going to have people, you know, yes, now they feel like with lower um, mortgage rates they can put their home on the market. That's going to be snapped up so fast that it doesn't really help our inventory goal of having a normal, more normal market. And you see that what Logan always points to is days on market tells you everything you need to know there because a normal functioning housing market would be 30 days, 30 to 40 days. If you if you look all the way back into like 20, you know, 9 2011 you're talking 105 days on the market yeah so i was nope. gonna
0: say like the the housing environment that i grew up in and learning this industry was like normal was 60 to 90. you wanted a couple months of inventory out there to you know can create consumer optionality and keep the right amount of pressure on prices um God, it's wild. If we think thirty is the new normal, that's a that's a hot market
1: for most of twenty twenty one and some of twenty twenty two. It was in the teen, teens, so you know, so thirty would be a big improvement there. But if you're back to those, like you said, that that sort of crazy market, then um, that hurts everybody. And you think about, I think it's ironic that we're talking about the value of a buyer's agent this year when if if you don't have a buyer's agent in that kind of competitive market how are you ever going to get a house I, I just don't even understand like those two things happening right you know having that kind of market and then we're talking about oh buyer's agents don't do anything it's like i don't know have you bought a house in the last 3 years
0: that's the funny part is, yeah and the the hotter the market the more valuable the buyer's agent the less valuable the listing agent and um yeah <laughs> the full picture sarah we're doing the full picture here covering how all the pieces fit together um so on the theme of the full picture, as we look forward to twenty twenty four, we have an election year ahead of us. Give me a glimpse into why housing should be paying attention to the election, what they should be paying attention to, what we're concerned about, or excited about. Let me hear your perspectives.
1: No, it's it's uh, hugely consequential. So usually, this time in you know in an elect leading up to an election year. Our reporters, me, I mean, we would be doing outlines of like, here's here's the major from, you know, we used to listen to all the um, debates and be like, here are all the candidates, what their housing issues are. So we stay out of all the other things. We just focus in on housing and housing. Things are like, you know, regulatory, um, what they think about immigration comes into that right Uh, into the construction thing. We look at.
0: Tax, mortgage interest, premium deductions. Yeah.
1: All of these things. So the weird thing about this year is it seems like, again, I don't know, but it seems like we might have a former president uh, running against a a current president. So those like looking at all the potential candidates is a little bit less likely. And what we can do is look at here's what how housing fared under uh, the Trump administration. And here's how housing fared under the Biden and kind of compare some of those things and I think what's uh, just really interesting there is how big a deal housing was in both of those, and how active um, housing has been. There have been years, Clayton, where I would listen to whole um, debates and how no housing issues came up one time. And in the whole you know campaign thing, we're like we'd be like he mentioned housing, you know, and um, that's just not the case anymore. We are not any kind of backwater. We are driving the economy. We always have. We are front and center. Um, and so, you know, you think about things like appraisal bias, you think about fair housing, affordable housing, all of those things, um, or being able to afford housing, which is a little bit different than affordable housing. Yeah. Housing affordability, housing affordability. and affordable
0: housing take different definitions. Yeah, so
1: housing affordability, top of mind for everybody in Washington and on Main Street. Um, and, you know, you have uh, different approaches to that. So I think it's going to be a really interesting year in some ways, you know, like I'd rather not have this, you know, it's. From a news person's perspective, very interesting. From a, from a person living here, it's like I don't know. Do I want this kind of interesting? Maybe not.
0: Yeah, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> okay, so we gave we gave people a few like behind the glimpse scenes at at Housing Wire in this episode, but Sarah, I'll, I'll go a little bit deeper in behind the scenes. So. Today our leadership team met to talk about our our rocks, our like our core actions that we're gonna take in, in Q1 to to move the business forward and, and move content forward in your in your scenario. Can you give the audience a little glimpse into your some of your major rocks for, for Q1 and how that will benefit them? Like what what we're what we're focused on.
1: Absolutely. So I would say that um like you mentioned earlier, we have always covered real estate. Um, we are adding, you know, uh, more full time employees to cover that real estate beat and serve that audience because they're a huge part of our audience, and we want to make sure that we're covering that. And specifically on some things that are more local markets. So we talk about real estate. We've always talked about real estate from the national level. We are going to be digging down and using some of our resources from Altos and and some of the real trends data that we have to really provide a lot of insight about local markets throughout the country and i think that that's exciting for us as a newsroom and I, I think it's going to be exciting for our readers whether you're in real estate or mortgage you would want to know that so looking at housing markets a little bit more locally while not giving up uh, any of the any of the things we currently cover um, we're looking to be additive there and that's super exciting for me so i'm very excited about that um, our content studio. So, you know, I started in the content studio and I'm just so excited about what we're going to be doing for our, um, our clients going forward. And that's where we're talk- our content
0: studio, like they, they do sponsored content for our clients. So like content marketing and, and lead gen and, um, kind of narrative-driven executive conversations. We also produce our podcast and our um, our video asset. So it's like pretty f- like full service content team.
1: It really is. And I feel like we have so much momentum going into 2024. And I think what I'm so excited about is we have the data. We added a, da- a data journalist this year. Uh, Will Robinson has been great, not only at getting the data and analyzing it, but visualizing it for our readers. Excited to do more of that this year. Um, so we have a lot of areas of growth and what we really want to do is just make sure that um, we're partners with our audience. You know, in B2B, your, your audience is also your sources, they're your advertisers, they're the people on your podcast. And so it's really engaging with them and all, at all those levels. And I love doing that. And I feel like we have just taken leaps and bounds the last couple of years of doing that
0: yeah and also from the content studio i I know we don't usually do this but our producer Alyssa is on i I don't know if she can like hop on and say anything but we are we're actually migrating podcast platforms as well which just feels like a daunting task but there's a, a lot of efficiencies that come with it Alyssa's not jumping on right now but Alyssa, you got your work cut out for you on that one big rock for for q1 okay so enough behind the scenes there sarah as we look forward to 2024 in the news cycle, what are you excited? What are we pumped about? Find me a silver lining in housing because this year has been it's been hard to find them.
1: I think the silver lining is um, the people who have figured out how to do this um, going into twenty twenty four are well positioned. There's less competition. That's sad, but if you're if you're still here, you've got less competition. And we know that we have uh, demographics coming in that want to buy houses, and with those lower mortgage rates, even if they're just lower relative to eight percent. I think you're going to have a good year um, that way. Like, there, we're definitely going to have more volume. Like, there's going to be more buying and selling. Um, That's always good for our industry. And I feel like you know the people who are still here, it's because they've really figured out the tech part too.
0: Growth, baby, let's go.
1: Let's go. All right,
0: folks. So I I teased in the beginning uh, a little bit of an end of an era. So, um, Housing News Podcast. Uh, I don't even know how many seasons we're in. We're like. Eight seasons in, or something. Um, but uh, this is going to be the last episode of Housing News. Now, before you shed tears and start planning uh, the funeral for the show, the show is going to be back in 2024 with me as your host. A continued focus on interviewing top executives in the housing industry, in mortgage and real estate, but under a new banner, under a new name. It's a powerful name, it's a name that's focused on housing. And I'm not going to reveal it yet, but we're going to continue to push it through this feed. So you're not going to miss a beat, but we're going to bring forward a brand new brand, reemphasize our focus on interviewing CEOs, founders, analysts, and investors from the housing community. Um, We're going to focus on executive perspectives, the type of executive perspectives that we bring to stage at our events, but bring them to you every single week on this new, powerful housing podcast. So stay tuned more to come new brand don't be surprised to see a new little like cover image show up in your your apple or spotify app um our designer brandon is bringing some some flashy new colors to the to the scheme here uh but it's exciting i'm excited for a refresh i'm excited to reemphasize our focus on bringing the best executives and ceos and founders to you in this podcast feed every week sarah can't thank you enough for an amazing 2023 You and your team performed outstandingly and brought a lot of value to our audience. So thank you for being our guest today.
1: Thank you, Clayton. It's been so much fun. And I am looking forward to our new brand and uh, the continued amazing content that you bring.
0: Onward. Let's go.